So anyway, my name is Travis. Uh, I am the young adult and youth pastor here at Church on the Rock, and I'm excited to be hanging out with y'all and speaking for you uh, today. As you know, Pastor Mike said, but Pastor John and, and Miss Linnell are out of town having a great weekend, and we just want to remember to continue to pray for them. Amen? They're the head of our, our church, and you know, this year has been a, a long year for them, but God be the glory, they're coming out on the other side, and we want to remember to, to pray for them. Amen. Well, we're going to continue our series this morning that Pastor John started, I don't know, six or seven weeks ago, entitled Happy, Happy, Happy. Can you say it with me? Happy, happy, happy. Hopefully you're happy right now, right? And it's our guide to healthy relationships. How many people know that God wants us to have healthy relationships? Healthy relationships are important, and they're important to God. God cares about two relationships in your life. Number one, He cares about your relationship with Him. That's the most important thing in our life is our relationship with God. And whether you're you know, young or you're old, it's still the same. God wants us to know Him so well. You know, that's the reason Jesus died on the cross, so that we would know Him, that relationship would be restored. In the Garden of Eden, that was forfeited when mankind sinned, but when Jesus died, it was restored. So choose relationship with God. Choose to know God. And the second relationship that God cares about in our life is our relationship with others, with other people, with our spouse, with our kids, with our friends, with our coworkers. God cares about those relationships, and God wants us in our life to, to have good relationships. And Pastor John's been doing this series basically so we will get tips and know how to have better relationships, just some practical things. Um, did you know that God wants us to be more successful than we do? God wants us to know Him better than we do. God wants us to have better marriages than we do. God wants our relationship with our kids to be better than we even do. We serve a good God. We serve a God that cares about us, that loves us. And, and personally, you know, I'm just so glad that Pastor John's been talking about this because it's been practical ways that can help us in our daily life. Right? Pastor John does such a great job of just talking about practical things and things that we can carry out. So I'm blessed uh, to hear him every week. But uh, this morning, I want to stay on the same theme that basically he's been talking about. And what I want to deal with and discuss is how do we raise godly kids in an ungodly world? How many people know we live in messed up times? We really do. We live in confusing times. We live in troubled times. I mean, there's things going on every single day that are confusing. We live in a world today that's lost. We live in a world today that doesn't know what's going on. And I'm telling you, God wants to show us as Christians as a body how we can impact the world. Over the last seven, seven years, I've been the uh, youth pastor here at Church on the Rock, and it's been a great time. And uh, I've had the opportunity uh, while I've been here to go to all the junior highs and high schools in town and see kids. I've had the opportunity over the years to have hundreds and hundreds of students that have come through the powerhouse doors. And let me tell you, it's been an honor to see a lot of your kids in there. Um, I've had the privilege over the years to see kids come through, graduate from high school, love the Lord, uh, care about God, live a life of standards, and now they're in adulthood and they're doing amazing things for God. And that's awesome. But unfortunately, over the years, we've seen a lot of kids that have come through and they've lost their way. They've fallen away from God. Um, they don't even believe in God anymore. You know, I've seen a trend sometimes when kids get to be, you know, 10th or 11th grade, it's easy for the world to come impact their life. It's easy for the world to try to steal what God's put inside of them. And it's unfortunate, but a lot of kids are falling away. And I'm telling you, I want to see this body in here, the body of believers, the body of young believers that are coming up, I want them to know God. 
I don't want them to walk away from God. I don't want them to get caught up in humanism. I don't want them to, to believe nothing. I want them to love a God that loves them so much. Amen? And it's, in my, it's my prayer that this body, we would raise up godly kids. And as a lot of you know, uh, I guess about 10 weeks ago, my wife and I, we had our first kid, boy, Gabriel. And uh, he's awesome. And uh, I'm excited he's here, but I'm telling you, people told me, you know, before I had a kid, it's going to change your life. It's going to change your life. And I was like, whatever, you're going to change my life. Man, it has changed my life. <laughs> I didn't know that you could roll on about three and a half or four hours of sleep, you know? You know, I'm walking around all the time wondering if I smell bad because I got like, you know, milk on my, my shirt and stuff. But I'm telling you, it's the greatest thing in the world. And when I look at my son and I look at him, I'm telling you, you didn't even, I mean, if you're a parent, you know this, you didn't know that you can love something so much. But as I look at my son, more so than ever, I've had the opportunity, like I said, for the last seven years to help disciple and raise and father a lot of kids here. But when I look at my son, I'm telling you, more so than ever, I want to see him serve the Lord. I don't want to see him get infected by a world that wants nothing to do with God. I want to see him love the Lord. And I hope in this room today we realize that there's an enemy out there that wants to destroy your kids. He does. He doesn't want to just play with them and have a good time. He wants to destroy your kids. There's an enemy out there that's been doing a pretty good job of stealing. He's had a pretty good strategy and it's worked pretty well. I think Satan figured out a long time ago that if he can confuse and manipulate a younger generation, that over time he could affect a nation. And I think we're seeing that. I think that we're seeing right now in our nation, there's kind of been a, a snowfall almost of things going away from biblical principles and away from the founding of what God intended our nation to be. And I think one of the main reasons is a broken family. You know, we live in a culture today, adults, it's not like it was when, when you were a kid. It's not even like it was when I was a kid. There's no more leave it to beaver, all right? Lucy. Your kids don't even know what I Love Lucy is. You love who? Lucy. Who's Lucy? We don't even know a Lucy. You know, there's no more hee-haw. Those things have been replaced by family guy and modern family, desperate housewives. Those things are gone. The entertainment industry in Hollywood is going 100 miles an hour away from biblical principles, away from God. And if you don't believe it, even Duck Dynasty, how many people have watched this show? It's pretty awesome. I think it's good. I think it's, it's moral. But did you know even the producers at the end of the show when they pray, they cut out in Jesus' name. You're talking about a station, a company that produces all sorts of feels, and they're going to cut out in Jesus' name. These are the, this is the culture that we live in today. There's an antichrist spirit that's, that's at work that wants to destroy everything that God wants to do. And it's sad. Check some of these uh, statistics out. Five, it's a five-year study by the Barna Group, which is a leading research organization focused on faith and culture, found that three in five young Christians leave the church after reaching the age of 15. As a result, over the past five years, the percent of young evangelicals fell four points to a mere 13%, while the percent of young agnostics and atheists grew by the same to 35%. What that's saying is three in five kids over 15 are leaving the church, leaving God. And what that's also saying is, and I didn't read this stat, but 18 to 29 is the group that they're talking about here. 13%, that is it, have a biblical worldview, are, are Bible-believing Christians. 13% of that age group, 18 to 29. 
While on the flip side, that same age group, 35% are now professing that I believe in nothing. That's sad. The fastest growing religion in the United States, and I say the United States because throughout the world, Christianity is dominating. Christianity is expanding. You go to third world nations, there is a hunger for God like you will not believe. In America, it's not that. In America, the fastest growing religion is non. Nothing. I believe in nothing. And that's what's being taught in our schools. You know, statistics show, another Barna stat, shows that 80% of people that come to Christ do so before age 18. So I'm speaking to this because there is an urgency. There's an urgency to fight the enemy. There's an urgency to stand in the gap for our students, our kids, our children. There's an urgency to live for God ourselves. More so than ever, our kids are getting confused and they're walking away from a God that loves them. We live in a culture today that calls right wrong and wrong right. We live in a culture today where you can pick which sex you are. You can pick which bathroom you want to go to. We live in a culture today in many states you can go get married guy to guy, girl to girl. We live in a culture today that this year over 1.7 million babies will be aborted on the altar of convenience. This is the country that we live in. And I believe that God's going to come and He's going to do a work, but I believe it starts with the body of Christ. We live in a culture today that Christian values are demonized and considered you know, obsolete. They don't matter. It's not a big deal anymore. And while a lot of you in here, you're aware of big problems that face our nation. I mean, obviously we had the government shut down. We're in economic crisis still, I think. People are getting their full-time you know, wages and hours cut down to part-time. We have a health care law that people still don't know how to sign up or figure it out. A lot of you in here, you're trying to figure out retirement. You're trying to figure out Social Security. You know, we talked this week about uh, Iran could have nuclear weapons in the next month or two. There's a lot of crazy questions that are out there. But let me tell you, our students are facing a lot of questions themselves, a lot of big questions, questions that will shape their life and their future and who they become. Some of these questions are, do I believe in God? Do I believe in my parents' God? Am I going to sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend? Am I going to save my virginity? Am I going to drink at the party? Am I going to follow my friends? Who is going to influence my life? I'm telling you, these are some tough questions. And I know I've given you for the last few minutes a lot of doom and gloom, and that's not what this message is, because how many people know there's a solution? And the solution is family. The solution is a strong, godly family. The solution to the junk that's going on in our nation today is that as families, we would turn our heart and our eyes and our gaze back to God, and God would come mend what's been broken. I believe it. So what I want to do the rest of this service is basically I want to talk about families. Every single one of us in here, we come from a family, okay? It may be broken, it may be awesome, but we come from a family. And I'm going to be talking today specifically uh, to parents, but also to every single person in here. God is calling us to step it up and help raise this generation. You may have kids at your house. They're your children. They're under 18. This is going to be easy for you to apply, but you may be a grandparent. Your kids may be out of the, uh, you know, the house, whatever. There's a lot of kids around that need a mother or a father. Let me tell you. At Powerhouse every week, we have kids that come from broken homes. If your kids are out of the house, let me tell you, we can find you somebody to love and help raise, okay? Maybe you're a, you know, a young adult and you're not married yet. Let me tell you, there's people that you can disciple, people that you can take under your arm and say, hey, you're not going to do this. You're going to follow God as I follow God, right? James Madison once said this, a family can function without a nation, but a nation cannot function without a family. 
And the reason we're talking about this today is because the family unit is messed up. The family unit in churches are messed up, and they need to be fixed. Look at a few more statistics before we jump into this. One out of every three children in America are born out of wedlock. Almost one out of every two marriages end in divorce, including Christian marriages. One out of every three pregnancies end in abortion. One million teenage girls become pregnant out of wedlock. 500,000 of these girls will abort their babies. Of all the 14-year-old girls alive today, 40% will become pregnant by their 19th birthday. 60% of all church-involved teenagers are sexually active. One out of every four students drop out of high school. 68% of American high school seniors have used illegal drugs while in high school. And I could go on and on and on. But I'm showing you this to say, you know what, we have a problem. And the problem is family. Broken families. And God wants to fix and renew families. And so what I want to do the remainder uh, this morning is I want to talk about three practical ways as parents, as grandparents, as mentors, that we can help our kids grow in God, that we can help our kids walk closer to the Lord. Because how many people know it's our job? It's our job. It's not the television's job. It's not the teacher's job at school. It's our job to instill godly values inside of our students so they would know God, they would walk out their purposes, and then they would raise up a new generation that loves God. Amen? Sound good. So we're going to jump into three ways that we can help guide our students to get closer to God. And here's the first way. Know what your, your children are doing. Can I get an amen? Know what your children are doing. Judges 14.5. It says, Then Samson went down with his father and his mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came rushing towards him. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion into pieces as one tears a young goat. I guess that's easy to tear a younger goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. This is one of my favorite characters in the whole Bible, Samson. We know Samson. Samson was called by God to be a judge. This was before there were kings in Israel and God would use judges basically to run the land and speak God's word. He was also a Nazarite. Samson was a guy that had this unbelievable gift from God and it was his strength. And every person in here, you have a gift from God, whether you can sing or you're financially responsible, you're hospitable, whatever. We have gifts for God and they're to bring God glory. Samson's gift was strength. It was to bring God glory. As we all know, Samson also had a downfall and it was women. All right? There's a lot of guys in here that can say, amen. There's probably a lot of women that can say, men, you're my downfall. Either way, Samson, he's called to be a Nazarite, and his parents are supposed to help him in this journey. And first of all, what is a Nazarite? And I want to look at this real quick so you'll see kind of a full picture here of what his parents were expected to do with him in his life. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Number six, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when either a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite, to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar made from wine or strong drink, and he shall not drink any juice or grapes or eat grapes, fresh or dry. All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine, not even the seeds of the skins. It goes on to talk the rest about this vow, not being around uh, unclean things, not going around dead things, not cutting hair, different stuff. But what I want you to see here, he was called to be a Nazarite. Nazarites aren't even supposed to drink wine. Where is Samson at? Dude is in a vineyard. That's not a good place to be. Some of y'all don't know, that's where grapes are, you know, made, and then, you know, wine comes out of grapes. Dude is not supposed to be there. What's interesting is, when you are somewhere where you shouldn't be, bad things happen. 
What happened to him? A lion comes. With our children, we have to know where they're at because when they're somewhere they shouldn't be or with people they shouldn't be with, bad things, they're going to happen. It's going to happen. When you're with that guy alone, something bad can happen. When you go to the party, something bad can happen. And that's just something good for all of us in here. When we're at a place that we shouldn't be, bad things can and will happen. Because, so Samson's with his parents. The Bible clearly states that his parents had no idea where he was at because he didn't tell them. And here's another interesting point. Like I said, they don't know what's happened to him. Their boy is a Nazarite. He is a judge. He has a calling of God on his life, and they don't know what's going on with Samson. Parents, we need to know and be involved in our kids' lives. It's our responsibility to know where they're at. Why? Because let me tell you, there's spiritual forces that are out there that are coming against your kids, and they have no idea. But as parents, we should know. Your 10-year-old child has no idea what's coming against him, but you should. You should pray. You should know what's going on in their life. Let me tell you, when I was growing up, it seemed like all the times I was wanting to do something bad, and I might have still done it, but it's like my parents knew. They were praying for me. It's our job as parents to know what's going on. It's our job as parents to know who they're hanging out with. In my opinion, we have a lot of parents that are unaware of what their students, what their child is doing. And I talk to parents all the time that maybe they have a child that they're having a problem with. Maybe they're not serving the Lord. Maybe uh, they're getting into trouble at school. And the first thing that I'll tell them or I'll ask them when I'm counseling them is I'll say, who do your kids hang out with? And I normally get two responses when the child is away from God or the child is doing bad at school. And the first response is this, I don't know. Come on, it's your child. It's not someone else's, it's your child. The second response I get is this, well, yeah, they're hanging out with bad influences. Come on. As parents, we have the obligation by God to raise our children. The short time that they're with us, it's our obligation to help raise them. Obviously, we can't make all the choices for them, but we can help protect them. We can help keep them safe. We can pray for them. We can stand in the gap for them. We need to be aware of what's going on. If you want your student to be a drug dealer, let them hang out with other drug dealers. If you want your student to love God, get them in an environment where they can see God. And you may say, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I can't choose my kid's friends. I can't choose who my kid doesn't date. Yes, you can. It's your kid, right? It's your kid. And I know some of the kids are like, I'm going to beat you up after service. I can probably outrun y'all, so I'm not worried about it. Here's the deal, and this is for the kids too. The kids, I want you to hear me, and I didn't understand this as I was growing up because, you know, I just didn't understand it. I didn't have wisdom. Your parents have wisdom because they're older than you. We're trying to help them. We're mandated by God to help raise them. We have to be accountable to God one day how we raised our children. So you may say, it's not fair, Mom, that you're checking uh, my cell phone. Mom pays for your cell phone. Come on. It's her cell phone. We need to be aware of what's going on, you know? We need to be aware of who our kids are, are dating. You know what? If you don't like them and your kid lives under your roof, they're under 18, don't let them date them. You got the car keys, stick them in your pocket. People are really going to beat me up now. Let me tell you, if some, some sketchy girl tries to come, you know, hook up with my, my boy, we're hiding the keys. We're hiding everything, you know? Hide your kids, hide your... Anyway, <laughs> see, Samson's parents, they were unaware 
of what he was doing. And as a result, a few chapters later, you know the story. He touches, he, he eats defiled food, he hooks up with some prostitutes. Ultimately, he hooks up with Delilah and forfeits his life. He dies early. We have to be aware of what our students are doing, who they're hanging out with, where they're going. Students, like I said, you may get frustrated. They are under mandate by God to help raise you. And one of these days when you're a parent, you'll understand, and I'm understanding right now. And I want to be the first person to say, I don't have anything figured out at all. I mean, I've been a dad for 10 weeks. I've been a youth pastor for seven years, and I've been able to see some stuff that I definitely uh, want to include into my life. We don't have it figured out. But praise the Lord, there's grace. Praise the Lord, there's, you know, godly people around us that can help us. You know, I'm asking Pastor Mike and different people questions on what to do, because I don't know what to do. But I know God does. And I know God cares about your kids. So what are some practical things that we can do as parents? We can, you know, we can pray for our kids, obviously. Pray for them. We can keep tabs on them. It's okay to know where your kids are going. Grandparents, it's okay to ask and check up on your kids. Mentors, it's okay to get in somebody's life and say, you know what, that's a bad idea. That's a stupid idea. You know, bring your kids to church. Bring your kids to youth group. And here's the deal, and I talk to a lot of parents, and I know they have good intentions, and they say, you know, I don't want to force church on my kids. I don't want them to rebel later in life, and, and I don't want to press them into something. Here's the deal. Nobody at 10 years old wants to go to church. I'll be honest. They want to stay at home. Anything on TV sounds better at 8.30 in the morning than church. Same thing with youth group. But because you love your kids, you want them in an environment where they're going to sense God. I know you're a lot of good parents out here. You make sure your kids go to the dentist, right, regularly. Once a year, twice a year, because you don't want your kids' teeth to be all messed up. It's the same thing. Get them in the environment where God can be there. They will thank you one day. So that's the first part. Know where your kids are. Here's the second way that we can help guide our kids. is to live for Jesus ourselves. This is a big one. Check this story out. A young boy asked his father, Daddy, what's a Christian? His dad replied, A Christian is someone that loves God, loves his friends, loves his neighbors, and even loves his enemies. He's kind and gentle. gentle. He prays a lot and helps people. He looks forward to going to heaven and thinks that knowing God is better than anything on earth. That son is a Christian. The boy looked at his father and said, Dad, have I ever seen a Christian? Dang. See, as, as followers, first of all, we should look like Jesus ourselves. But our, Christian, our, our kids should see Jesus in us. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says this, Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. Then it says, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul is telling the church of Corinth, Follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me. Think about it. All the TV shows, all the bad influences right now in our culture. You know, a few weeks ago, you know, I know you heard about the Miley Cyrus VMA stuff. There's a lot of bad influences going on in our society. At home, our kids need to see Jesus in us. We have to be the examples. Our kids should see us love God and worship God and live a life of standards and integrity and honor our spouses. That's where they should see God, not just at church once a week. They should see God in us, in the household. Amen? They should see us serve and volunteer and do all those things because we love God. And it wants them. Or they are desire, they're wanting to do that. Check this out, Acts chapter 3. It's a great story. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried from, uh, from there, whom they laid at the gate daily at the temple called Beautiful Gate to ask for alms. 
as they were entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him as did John and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by his right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And he started leaping and started shouting and praising God. It's an amazing story. Here's the deal. How did Peter and John even know to do this? You go back about a year and a half, most theologians think, to John 5. It says, now there in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool that is called Bethesda, which has five colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man who was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him laying there, he knew that he had already been there a long time and said to them, said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered, sir, I have no one to put me in the water when the water is stirred up, but when I'm going to step in, someone gets in before me. Verse 8, Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed. Here's what I want you to see. The disciples walked around with Jesus for three years. They saw Jesus love people. They saw Jesus care about people. They saw Jesus heal the sick. And so when Jesus went back and resurrected, the disciples knew what to do. They saw Jesus pray, so they knew they were supposed to pray. Amen? And what our kids should see is us pursuing God. None of us in here are perfect, but we can go after God. We can pursue God. We can live for God. And God will give us the grace to do it. And yes, we're going to fall and mess up, but God can help us be better people and better followers of Him. And our kids will see that, and they'll be drawn to us, and they'll, they'll be drawn to Jesus. That's what it's about. We want our kids to see God through our lives. We have to lead by example. If you want your kids to pray, then you need to pray. If you want your kids to live for God, you live for God. If you want your kids to live godly, you live godly. Turn off that television show. Clean up your language. If you don't want your kids to drink or smoke, you quit drinking or smoking. Come on. If you want your kids to have more than a casual relationship with God, then we need to have more than a casual relationship with God. It needs to be coming out of us. There's a lot of influences that are out there, and we need to be the biggest. I want you to think for a second. Who's influencing your child? Who's telling them about drugs and sex? Better yet, who's telling them about God? Because believe, if we aren't, somebody else is. It's the kid, you know, sitting next to him on the bus. They're telling them about God and sex. We need to be the people that are influencing our kids for the Lord. It has to be us. Where does that come from? You may say, I don't know how to influence them. The good thing is God gave us a book. And He gave us His Son. And we can read the book and follow His Son and know how to raise our kids. We're not going to be perfect, but He is perfect. We need to set the example at home. And like I said, how do you do that? Read your Bible. Pray. Let them see you worship God. Let them see you love your spouse. Let them see you write that check to the missionary in Mexico. Let that be the part of the culture at your house. We love God. We serve God. We go to church. We tithe. We do this stuff. This is who we are. You're part of us. Amen? The Bible says if you train up a child while they're young, what? When they're old, they're not going to depart. We need to train our child, our children. Amen? That's the second point. Are y'all good? Are y'all with me? Okay. The third and final way I want to discuss today that we can help guide our students, our kids, is by helping them walk out their calling. How many people know every one of us in here, we have a calling by God? God loves us. He cares about us. Before the foundations of the earth, He knew us, and He knew what He had for us. I want you to check this story out. It's a story about three ladies that were sitting around bragging about their children. 
The first one said, you know my son graduated first from his class at Stanford. He now lives in San Diego. He's a doctor and makes $250,000 a year. The second lady said, my son graduated first in his class at Harvard. He's a lawyer and he makes $500,000 a year. That's a lot. I mean, it takes me a couple weeks to make that, you know. The last lady said, you know, my son was never good in school. He never went to the university, but now he makes $1 million a year as a sports repairman. The other two ladies looked at, their, looked at each other, and they asked the other lady, what is a sports repairman? And she said, he fixes hockey games, football games, baseball games. He's a criminal. Here's the deal. God's plan, he has a plan for our children, he has a plan for us, and it's not to be criminals. He knows who our kids are supposed to be, and it's our job as parents, mentors, to help lead them in that direction, to know what God has for their life and help steer them in that direction. Remember the story of David being anointed to be the king in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16. David's probably my favorite character in the Old Testament. Uh, king Saul is the first king of Israel. He was disobedient to God, and God said, you know what, there's a time for grace and repentance, but he didn't do it, so I'm getting rid of him. And in our lives, maybe there's an issue in your life that you struggle with. Let me tell you, there's grace for God to overcome those things. But when we don't repent and we don't, you know, accept that grace, God judges. He is a judge. And so anyway, God said, I'm done with Saul. And he told the prophet Samuel, I want you to go to a guy by the name of Jesse's house and I want you to anoint one of his sons to be the next king of Israel. Samuel goes to Jesse's house. He says, man, you know, one of your sons is going to be the next king. They get the elders and he goes and gets his sons. And you remember the story, uh, Eliab comes up there, he's as oldest, as strong as he's smart, he's good looking, and the prophet says no, God says he's not supposed to be the king. He goes on and on down the line, until finally, there's no boys left. And Samuel's like, dude, none of these boys are supposed to be the king, do you have another son? What does Jesse say? Yeah, I got one more. He's not here, he's tending the sheep, let me go get him. You remember the story, they go and get uh, David, he's a young boy, and they anoint him to be the next king of Israel. He later becomes a king, the greatest king that Israel ever has. I want you to think for a second how bad David feels when he shows up to the party. Number one, he wasn't invited. His dad didn't think that he could be the king. Number two, he wasn't even invited to watch one of his brothers be the king, or be anointed to be the king. It's our job as parents to know that, first of all, God has a destiny in their life to pray, to intercede for our kids. And as God directs us, we help push them into that direction. Amen? Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you, I knew you. Before David was even born, God knew what he had for David's life. And our job as parents and grandparents and mentors is to hear from God about our kids and help them go in that direction. This is why it's so important that we pray, that we encourage them, that we, dis we discipline them. We have been entrusted by God for a season to help shape their destinies, to help them get closer to God. And here's the kicker. Your calling may not be your kid's calling. And we have to be okay with that. If you're a teacher, your kid may not be called to be a teacher. If you're a nurse, your kid may not be called to be a nurse. You may be a doctor. Your kid may be called to be a missionary. Are you okay with that? It's our job to help push them in that direction. We don't pick the calling. God does. We simply help them walk it out. And a scripture I quoted earlier, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart. A better translation is train up a child in his or her way. 
I mean, there is one way. Obviously, it's through Jesus. But it's saying some people, they have the gift of music. Push them that way. They have the gift of, of ministry. Push them that way. They're intelligent. Push them that way. God wants to use us to help them. Amen? Your most important job as a parent is not to make a lot of money. It's to make a disciple of Jesus that knows the calling that God has on their life. Let me say it again. Your most important job as a parent is to make a disciple. Our most important job as Christians in general, maybe your kids are out of the house. You're still called to make disciples. Like I said, there's people all over this church that need a mom, that need a dad. And you may not be their biological father or mother, but they need someone they can put their arm around them. They need some house that they can go to. They need someone that they can come to. Amen? That's what the church is about, community. And I believe because the culture that we live in, it, it's become, even though we're so technologically sound, we have Facebook and Internet, I believe we've become so disconnected. God's plan for the church is to be a family, to care for each other, to love one another. Amen? So I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you. Seek the Lord and help push your kid towards God. Not in a, a weird religion kind of way, you know, where you have to do, 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 but help them. Help them love God. Help them see God and help them see the purpose in their life. And as I close, as Pastor Nick's coming up, give it up for Pastor Nick. He's awesome. I want to close with Exodus chapter 20, and this is one of the Ten Commandments. And in the college and the youth for the last six weeks or so, we've been doing this series on the Ten Commandments. The first four of the Ten Commandments are about how we're supposed to respond to God. And I would challenge every parent, every person here, go read the Ten Commandments. God knew we didn't know how to respond to Him, so He said, here's four ways that you respond to me. The second part of the commandments, the last six, are how we respond to one another. And the first one in this second part is Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. And it says this, Honor your father and your mother, that the days of your life will be long in the land that your Lord has given you. Amen? Honor your father and your mother. Let me tell you, this was the first scripture that I learned as a kid. My parents were always like, honor your mother and father. I do stuff wrong all the time. I had this one down, okay? A lot of you parents in here or kids, you're like, I got that one, okay? I got that one. I might not know any more, but I got that one. This scripture is so important. This commandment was given before murder, before uh, adultery. This commandment was given before lying and stealing. It's because, you know what? Families are important to God. And I believe there's two reasons that God gave this commandment. And the first one I just said, family is important to the Lord. This commandment was given by God so that the family structure would function and it would be in order and it would be strong. God said, here's how the family should operate. The parents are in charge and the kids are under the authority of their parents. The family is the building block of our culture and if the building block is weak, everything else is weak. Governments weak, churches are weak, cities are weak, organizations are weak, but vice versa. When our families are strong, government's strong, cities are strong, churches are strong. I believe the reason we're in the predicament that we are in our country is because families are broken and they're weak. But there's hope God wants to mend and restore. I believe the second reason that God gave us this commandment is so that we would understand authority. This commandment gave the parents the authority over their children. And this whole thing is about God. If we can't honor and respect and become under the authority of our parents, how can we ever become under the authority of God? And children, I want you to understand this. Kids, I didn't understand this when I was younger. But it's a circle. When you're a kid, you learn authority. And you see it in your parents. 
You say, you know what? I'm going to take out the trash. If you can't take out the trash, you're not going to keep the Ten Commandments. Okay? And when you become an adult, obviously you still honor your parents, but then you have children. And it's the same cycle. You want authority because God gave it to us. And let me say, God is all about authority. And He didn't give this command so the parents could lord over the kids and, and, and say bad stuff and make them be work slave. That's not it. He wanted us to understand godly authority. And parents, this commandment has a dual meaning. You want honor? Be honorable. Be someone of integrity. Be someone of character. Be someone that says, do as I do, not just as I say. Follow me as I follow Christ. Amen? Hopefully this morning you grab something fresh. Hopefully you saw something in the Lord's Word. But here's my prayer. That our church would be strong. That our families would be strong. And over the years, I know the enemy has tried to break up families and destroy families and, and, and do all this stuff. But God wants to come and mend. And here's the deal. This morning, maybe I've touched on something and you say, man, I've messed up in some areas. We all have. But there's hope. God wants to restore. He wants to fix things. He wants to fix us. He wants to make you the man or woman or, or child you're supposed to be. And as I was praying, I felt this yesterday, Malachi 4.6. Here's the solution. And He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to their fathers. That's a promise from God. And that's awesome. I want you to stand on your feet this morning. And you see, I want, here's how I want to close service. I want us to pray. I want us to pray that we'll have strong families and everything that the enemy has meant for bad would be turned around for good and that this church would be a light into the city for how godly families are. Let me tell you, healthy people reproduce healthy people. Healthy families reproduce healthy families. And I know it's Pastor John's heart that this would be a church body that's healthy. And that only happens if the family's healthy. So here's what I want us to do. I want you, if you're here with your family, I want you to grab their hand. I want you to put your arm around them. Come on, it's your family. It's okay. If you're here and your family's not here, you know what? If you're close to someone, go stand by them. Put your arm on their shoulder or something. Nothing weird. Come on. Or if you just want to pray, I want you to pray with me. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord, we love you. And God, we thank you that you're all about family, Lord, that, that you care for families. And Lord, right now, we just pray against every attack of the enemy, everything that the enemy's trying to do in families. Lord, we just say that he has no place in Jesus' name. And Lord, we say right now, just I pray over the parents. Lord, I pray good marriages, godly marriages. Lord, I pray forgiveness. Lord, I pray that you would come in like a flood and you would rescue broken marriages right now. Lord, I pray for relationships between parents and kids. Lord, that there would be forgiveness there. We've all said and done things that we didn't mean or that was wrong. Lord, would you forgive us? And Lord, I just pray there would be reconciliation between kids and parents, even kids and parents that are grown. Lord, that you would come and restore what's been messed up. So Lord, right now, would you bless our families? Would you knit them together? And would you make us strong in Jesus' name?